You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, good morning. We are on a series called Ships. Today we're going to talk about the vessel that you and I should get on board called citizenship. Citizenship. If you think about what kind of vessel, if you're going to travel, you have to say what kind of citizen of what kind of country you're from. If you're going to go internationally, if you're going to get on a cruise ship and you're going to go into port, you've got to give the cruise ship company your information typically found in your passport saying that you're a citizen of a particular country. And we're going to talk today about citizenship because we live in a world where no matter what tribe or race or nation or language you belong to, your heart longs for something better. No matter where you are in life, no matter what you want out of life, no matter how patriotic you think you are or not, your heart longs for something permanent. Your heart longs for something better. We're going to talk about how to pursue a heart that is out of this world. How do you and I have a heart that sees beyond the circumstances of this earth, of this life? Now, there's something about citizenship with its privileges and its obligations, its pride, its sense of belonging and its sense of worth and its sense of status that makes being a citizen worth striving for, holding dear, and sometimes even dying for. Why is that? What is it that is really involved in being a citizen? And why get on board the ship of citizenship? Why should you and I do that? Citizenship has its privileges, right? That if you are a citizen of certain countries, you get privileges. And for many of you who've grown up in America, maybe you're second generation in America or you're many generations down the line in America. But for you growing up in America, and if you haven't traveled internationally, you oftentimes just overlook the privileges of the, being a citizen of America. You don't realize how great a country can be until you travel to other countries. And then you go, oh, I need to get back to where I have certain privileges and rights that lots of people around the world don't have. Citizenship in ancient times had privileges. Uh, You've heard of the book of Philippians in the Bible. And that's from the city of Philippi. And Philippi was in a Greek area, but they were under Roman citizenship. So they had privileges. They were not actually in Rome, but they had privileges of Rome. They had citizens' privileges like they could own their own land. Did you realize that many times in ancient cultures, you didn't own your land? You worked land that wasn't yours. You didn't own it. But they had ownership of land. They had freedom from public beatings. They had the right to appeal to a a higher legal system under Caesar to actually appeal to the Roman legal system, not just the regional legal system in the country where they may have been. In Greek history, citizens had requirements, privileges of citizenship, but they were requirements too. In Greek history, you had to payment of taxes, and you had to Uh, attend citizen meetings. You had the right to transfer land. You had the right to serve on juries. You were obligated to serve in the military. If you were a slave, you actually had a couple rights as a slave in a Greek culture. But if you were a foreigner, you had no rights. If you were a foreigner from some other country and you entered a Greek region, a Greek culture area, you had no rights, you had no representation. You were simply obligated to that culture. You had no rights, no obligation, nothing. And maybe no, no one in here 
realizes just how important citizenship is, except for the person who's been naturalized. The person who was an outsider, but went through due process, went through the requirements, went through the screening, went through the backgrounds, went through the classes, and became a citizen of the country in which you reside. Nobody understands it like someone who's had to go through the work. There have been people even in our congregation who at times have come and said, I'm worried, I'm afraid, I'm scared because I'm actually not here as a citizen of the United States. And, and several of them have taken the steps to walk through the entire process, knowing full well they could get rejected, they could have huge obligations, work permits and visas, and, and, and they could get denied at any time, even though for years they've been here. But they walked through that process. They chose faith over fear, and as they walk through, when that day comes, when they declare their citizenship, they take the oaths of a citizen of the United States of America, that there is something that they understand that I think many times you and I don't. They understand the cost. They understand the privilege. They understand the rights. And sometimes you and I just grow up in it. So we're entitled. We just don't get it. But no one quite appreciates citizenship like one who's been naturalized. So here's what I want you to do for a moment. I want you and I to put yourself in the position right now of being an outsider. Right now, you are a foreigner in ancient Greek culture. You have no rights, none. The slave actually has more rights than you do. But today, I want you to put yourself in the position of being a foreigner. You have no rights. You have no hope. You have no ability to become a citizen. And we're going to ask, why do I need a heart that is out of this world? If you have your Bible, open with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and take your outline out because as you write some things down, I believe God's Holy Spirit is going to speak to you some things today that you're going to write down and say that God had me here intentionally because he's got a message here for me. And you're going to write those things down on your own, your own notes for your own benefit. But as you take that out today, I want we got to understand the condition of earthly citizenship. What's the condition that all citizens of earth share? What's the condition, no matter your, right, your race, your tribe, your nation, what is the natural condition of earthly citizenship? What's the, what, what's the common ground that we all have? And the answer to that is that I'm lost. I'm lost. The natural way of the heart is that it is exceedingly wicked. I don't really care if you think that all people are good or you think that all people are bad. The Bible reveals that the heart in and of itself is exceedingly wicked. In fact, so much of the angst that we see in our culture right now is just the heart being itself. It's people feeling confident enough in numbers or alone to go out and just be the natural nature of, the, of what it means to be lost, to have a heart that is exceedingly wicked. Pastor John MacArthur spoke recently on the three restraints that God gives us in society. God gave us three institutions by which the natural way of the human heart is restrained. Number one, he gave us conscience. Conscience, it's that thing on the inside. This is the individual restraint. This is the point where you and I have, we look and we say, this is either right or this is wrong. I just know it on the inside. I know it in my conscience. 
And what happens is if we live in a culture like we do right now, where a conscience must be based on the moral law, but the moral law has been stripped away and the moral law has been individualized. You do what's right for you and you do what's right for you. It's a selfie culture, right? It's all about the individual. And we have, we have parents who don't know how to parent. They think my job is to do what the kid wants. And so what is happening, we're stripping away the moral law. We're giving them no comfort, no boundaries, no basis for conscience. They think, and they're growing up thinking, it's all about me. I can do what I want. So when we remove conscience away from a moral law, we suddenly find ourselves wandering. So the human heart, which is exceedingly wicked, it wanders. And right now in our culture, we are wandering. The second restraint that God gives is the family. It's the family. So fathers and mothers either individually if you're in a single parent situation or corporately together as married couple, you are to remind and discipline and train your children so that they understand that sin has a sting, that you are to not spare the rod because if you do, you'll spoil the child. And this is not saying that you abuse or, or out of anger, but that God says that we discipline our children. Why? Because it teaches them how to self-govern when they become older. And it's not to be all about them, that we come along and say, God has expectations for you. And we live in a culture where the breakdown of the family has shattered many of our young people right now. And so they're wandering. Their heart, as your heart and my heart, is naturally exceedingly wicked and so what happens is, without the restraint of growing up in the family or having any boundaries in the family, then we just think the sky's the limit. And so God gave a third restraint to society, and that is what Romans chapter 13 says, that God has given the officer the sword to be able to discipline those who want to just do their own thing. And so he says he's given that to the officer, the governing authorities, the police, that when there is not restraint, that they are the restraining, protective faction in society but we live in a world right now where the authority behind the officer is scrutinized and questioned more than the wickedness of the heart of any individual who might choose to do what they want to do and so we live in a culture right now where the three restraints of society are just they're gone and all this angst we see all this anger that we see all this self-righteousness that we see in our culture is just the natural outpouring of the human heart. People are doing as they please. And it's not going to change. It's not going to stop. Except when the Spirit of God intervenes in the individual's human heart. And so God is called out for citizens on earth who are citizens of heaven to shine the light in the darkness that there could be hope in the world and it is through the name above all names, through the name of Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes this. He says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without what? Without hope and without God in the world. Okay, you've got three strikes against you. 
And Paul's just aligning this. He's saying, listen, the natural condition of the human heart is that it's wicked. And not only is it wicked, but you've got three strikes against you. The first one is this, and they're on your outline, that you're separate from Christ. You might want to, if you've got your Bible open and it's a paper Bible, you might want to underline. You might want to highlight this verse if you've got a digital Bible. But you're separate from Christ. Second, you're likely a non-Jewish person, like me. I'm not a Jewish person. I would be a Gentile. I'd be of another nation. But Paul's saying, listen, you are likely, well, you're separate from Christ. And secondly, you're likely a non-Jewish person. And this means that you are unable to be under the blessings of the covenant and the protection of the covenant. A Jewish person is one who could be near to God, but a foreigner, an outsider, is one who would be far or distant from God. So remember, we're putting ourselves in the shoes today of those who would be the natural condition of humanity for many ways and purposes, even in that day, God would be distant. God would be unapproachable. And the third strike we have against us is that we're without hope, and that's because we're without God. Without hope and without God. In fact, those, those two phrases, without hope and without God, is a descriptive situation similar to those who are separated from God in hell. Okay, so he's saying while you're on earth, the three strikes you have against you is that you are separate from Christ. You're likely not a Jewish person under the Jewish promises and blessing and covenant. And you're without hope and you're without God. That's the natural condition of earthly citizenship. So are we stuck there? Do we stay without hope? Can we draw near to God? I love what Paul says in the very next verse. He says this, but now. See, if you're lost, if you're with hope, you're like, so that's it? That's all I get? And he says, no, but now. Here's the hope. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He has made these two groups one. And he's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh, with its commandments and its regulations, the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to you who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Again, he's saying you were distant. You were without hope. God was distant. But because of Christ, you now have access to God. Where formerly you were distant. He goes on and says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What's he saying? God has created a brand new citizenship. You were foreigners. You were far away. We were all distant from God. But because of Christ, we now have the right to become together with him. Citizenship is offered into the united body of Christ. It's such an interesting idea because he says, listen, in his body, he took these two groups that were separate 
But because of his sacrifice through himself, he made the two one in his body. And now he's created not a nation, not a region, but now he's created in himself a living kingdom of God on earth that's in you. God doesn't live in some temple somewhere. God is not in some other country that you have to go visit on a pilgrimage. God is alive and active, and he wants to work in you and through you to be the kingdom of God on earth. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And why us? He could have just left it where it was. But it was broken. It was flawed. The law had to be fulfilled. And so Christ, in his sacrifice on the cross, in his body, he paid for your sin, for my sin. And he offers us now grace, which is, guess what? I want to offer you a passport, a heart, a mind, a soul, a spirit that is out of this world. Citizenship is offered into the united body of Christ. Ephesians 2.13, he says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. That's what we celebrate when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, when we celebrate communion. We were rescued, right? Citizenship was offered where formerly there was no hope, and he destroyed the barrier. He sacrificed himself to destroy that barrier that existed. Well, whose moral law was violated whenever you and I broke the law? Well, that was God's law. But who paid the sacrifice that was required for God's law to be reconciled? Jesus did. Oh, and by the way, then he rose again. He paid for your sin and mine in full. When we put our faith and trust in him, he makes us a citizen of heaven. And he conquered sin and death by rising from the dead. He says that, that this is a united. He's taken the two dividing things and he's united them together. You say, what do you mean united body of Christ? I mean, wouldn't it just be the body of Christ? What do you mean united body of Christ? Well, he says this. He says that it is built upon Jesus Christ plus the apostles and prophets. So you have New Testament apostles, you have Old Testament prophets, all those who would represent and look forward to a kingdom that would never perish or spoil or fade, look forward to a Messiah, those who understood and interpreted and communicated the moral law of God to the Jewish people. He's saying it's built upon Christ, it's built upon the Old Testament prophets, it's built upon the New Testament apostles, and now it's God dwelling in you. So you're added to that mix. You're grafted in. You who were formerly separate now have the right to be a part of the same building, a living kingdom that God wants to be the kingdom of God on earth in a very, very dark world. He's called you to be a child of light. Not because of your goodness, but because of the perfection of Christ. See, God intends that you and I be built together. Some people think if I can just have faith, I can have faith on my own. I want to tell you something. God is building a mountain. He's building a kingdom. And an isolated rock is just a rock. No one ever looks at just an isolated rock and goes, that's a cool mountain. But when you climb a mountain, you go, from far away, it looks like this massive individual thing. But when you climb it, it's made up of millions and millions of rocks. They are built together to become a mountain. 
So if you want to have a faith and you want to be isolated, you want to be outside of community, you want to be outside of organized religion, you want to be outside of the church, then you're just an isolated stone. You're not being built into anything. And God says you're being built together into a living kingdom. So being in the body of Christ is vital to growth. That's why we say we want to be a church, not just a rose on the weekend, but we want to be a church of circles. We want you to circle up with other believers during the week where you can grow in community. That you've already encountered God, but now you want to grow in community. You need other believers around you. Brothers in the room, you need brothers around you. The world is hard enough on its own without having friends, and we need guys around us that we can relate to, that we can not be hiding from, but we can be honest with ourselves and with God and with others. Ladies, you need a sisterhood around you. You need others that you can walk with, that you can engage with, that you can encourage. You need a sisterhood around you. So don't neglect it. Don't neglect church. Don't neglect being in a circle. Keep coming back. It's why we tell you that. See, God didn't want a tourist attraction like the pyramids. He didn't want a pilgrimage like you going to Mecca somewhere. God wants to live in you as a living movement called the kingdom of heaven all over earth. Wherever those who put their faith and trust in Christ exist all over this earth, he wants to live as a kingdom of God in and through you. You are cooperating with him as the light of the world. Peter, who walked with Jesus, was one of his disciples, writes this in his first book. He says this in 1 Peter 1 verse 13. He says, therefore, with minds that are alert and sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And as obedient children, don't conform to the evil desires you have when you live in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, be holy, because I am holy. And since you call on a father who judges each work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without defect or blemish or defect. The beginning part of that verse is something I want you to catch. As I was just doing my study this week, I just realized, man, what, what does it mean for me to be a holy temple of the Lord? See, sometimes you read that, be holy, because I'm holy, and you're like, I'll never make it. Or maybe I'm like holy in like status because God has saved me and his righteousness is given to me. But until I'm out of this body of flesh, right? And I don't want you to skip over the first part. Before we ever got to all that holiness bit, we got to look back at the first part. In fact, look with me again at verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, not minds that are drunk on the world, not minds that are drunk on earthly things, not minds that are inebriated by all that the world would tell you to love and obey and serve, not, not drunk with the conflicts of our world and the politics of our world, not inebriated with and unable to see anything else because you're so drunk in that, but instead he says, Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you. You can accept Christ's grace right now, but there is a day when that thing gets delivered. There is a day when the grace is brought to you. You didn't earn it, but that it's coming. 
And it's coming in the return of Jesus Christ. It will be revealed to us at his coming. It has been revealed. It will be revealed again. God's grace has been brought to you. So understanding this will have a profound effect on your lifestyle. When you understand that Christ revealed his grace to humanity at his coming and that he's returning again, that that grace that I so want to live out in all the ways I want to live it out, it's going to be satisfied, perfected, matured fully at his coming. It'll have a profound impact on your lifestyle. So number three, set your hope and your gra- on the grace to be brought to you. See, the grace that we have been given takes effect in your heart, your soul right now, but you still live in a body of death, so you're waiting for it. It's like a package you're waiting for, right? It's been promised. It's been confirmed. It already got paid for. And the delivery date is coming. It's going to come at the right time, not a moment early. It's promised now. It's in full effect now. But you don't realize it fully until you're with the Lord in heaven. So set your hope on that grace and not on what the world promises and then the world fails to deliver on. Your hope, listen, is not your earthly body. Oh, it says in the last days that people will look at themselves. Their, their gods will be their bodies. And we see that in our culture. And so many of us are like, I'm trying to compare the, the little G God of my body to the capital G God of that other person's body, and they're looking pretty good, and it's just not going to last, is it, even for them? Your God is not supposed to be your body. That's not where your hope is set. Your, your hope is set in heaven. Now, do we have stewardship over our bodies? Yes. We're supposed to be good stewards of our bodies. But is it our God, our idol? No. Our mind is in a different place. Our hope is in a different place. You actively have to set your hope on that grace. And let me tell you so often, you get up and you get stressed out by what's going on in the world. You get stressed out by what's going on in your family or relationships or the things around you. And you begin to like slurp into yourself and try to like control only what you can control, or you feel overwhelmed and stressed because it just seems like life and everything around you is out of control. And you're worried, and you're upset, and you're, you're out of sorts. And God wants to call you back to say, time out. You are a citizen of heaven. It's not set on your performance. It's not set on whether the world gets more and more wicked around you. Your hope must be set on the grace that has come to you. Philippians 3, 20 through 21 says this, but our citizenship is in what? It's in heaven. Think about your passport for a minute, wherever you're from. Whatever nation you're from, if you had your passport right here, your citizenship is like you turn that one in and you go, I get a passport to heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so they'll be like his glorious body. What are we doing? We're eagerly awaiting. And so, with the rest of our time today, I want to talk with you about four ways that citizenship in heaven gives you a heart that's out of this world. What does that look like for us? What does that look like for you? Here's how. Number one, we think heaven's thoughts. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
that when the world wants to consume us with its thought, its thoughts and its ways and its habits, we have the ability to think heaven's thoughts. Our minds are in heavenly things when we are tempted all the time to dwell in earthly things. So what happens? We're dwelling on earthly things. We're out of sorts. And what do we do? We set our minds on the truth. We set our minds on the hope. We set our minds on the return of Jesus Christ. And it changes our perspective. See, what happens is we get so focused on the temporary that we lose sight of the eternal. And that's why we're living like a foreigner. And we think, I'm I'm supposed to live like a citizen of earth, when the reality is you're a foreigner of earth because you're now a citizen in heaven. So we can think heavenly thoughts. Our minds are being transformed by the renewing of the mind through the scriptures, through the work of God's Holy Spirit. And we concentrate on pleasing God rather than pleasing people. See, we've got to, as citizens of heaven, reject stinking thinking. You know what stinking thinking is? Stinking thinking is when you put your hope in this world, when you put your hope in a human person, when you put your hope in a party, when you put your hope in a system, we're going to reject that stinking thinking because there is one hope and there is one way and there is one truth and there is one life and his name is Jesus. That's when we think heaven's thoughts. See, the citizen of heaven living on earth should never stay discouraged. Because you know the Lord is going to one day return and you're going to live in expectation of it. That's the different type of thinking that God blesses you with and encourages you with when we live in a wicked, fallen, messed up world. We think heaven's thoughts Second perk of being a citizen that lets your heart be out of this world is that our names are written in heaven's book of life. See, if you're a citizen, your name is entered on the legal records of the country, and then if you travel, you're issued a passport. That passport says that you have the rights of being a citizen of that particular country. But for you and me as believers in Jesus Christ, a citizen of heaven, your name gets written in the book of life. It's called the Lamb's book of life. Who's the Lamb? That's Jesus Christ. He was the final sacrifice, the unblemished, perfect, never sinned, spotless one who sacrificed himself for you and for me. So guess what? He's got a book. It's not like Santa's book. This one's better. This one is a book of his citizens. This is a book of those who've died to themselves to live to Christ. Those who've gotten to the end of themselves and say, God, I need you. I need that grace that has been revealed that you're coming to be brought to me. I need it. I can't do it the way. I I can't put my hope anymore in all these things that are falling. Every time I put my hope in it, they fail to deliver. They fail to promise. They just don't work. Whether we're young or old, the heart is at times just wants to do what it wants to do, right? That's the nature. I was that way as a little kid. You were that way as a little kid. It's just the nature of what we do. It's, It's our heart. And God says, listen, your heart can be out of this world. Your heart can be beyond that. Your heart can be greater than. Because the heart left to itself just wants to do what it wants to do. But how about that? The legal record of having your name written in the book of life frees you from God's punishment. It's cause for rejoicing that your name is written in heaven when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Why is this important? 
Why should you have your name written in the book of life? Why should you place your grace, uh, your faith in Christ so that you can become a citizen of heaven? Well, it's clear because in Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, it says, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life will be thrown into the lake of fire. What's the natural condition of the human heart? It's deserving of punishment. It's deserving of being what we've been all along, without hope and without God. And the ultimate result of that after death is if I'm without hope, I'm without God, and I die, then I die in my sins, my sins still condemn me. The natural result of that is that God created a place called the lake of fire to throw the devil in, to throw the demons in, to throw death itself in and finish death. All those things that violate us. But if you haven't put your faith and hope in Christ, God says that's the natural outcome. That you're not a citizen of the grace that I offered to you. Jesus said it this way. So the one who offered himself, God become flesh, said this. Don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. He's talking about demons. Don't rejoice that you, by using the name Jesus, were able to cast a demon out. Don't rejoice that these evil spirits that took over somebody respond to you as a believer in Christ, he says, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What's he saying? Think heavenly thoughts. He's saying, listen, your citizenship, your name, you don't understand how big this is. That through faith in me, your name can be written in heaven's record, in the book of life. Well, the number uh, three way that citizenship in heaven gives you a heart that's out of this world is that we long for the return of heaven's Lord, don't we? Man, there is a tremendous energy and encouragement and optimism when you belong, when you have an assurance, when you know that you're secure. See, there actually exists perfect and just, strong and stable leadership that will last forever. Don't you long for that? In our world that's messed up, don't you long for just like the right individual to come in and take control and fix this messed up world and get us all on the same page and remove? Well, Jesus is that guy. So when you have citizenship in heaven, you are longing for a king that will reign forever. You long for secure lives. You long for freedom. You long for provision. We long for this kind of society and righteousness and stability and leadership and permanence. How do you know that you long for this? Because of your if-only statements. If you listen to yourself, you will reveal that you long for that kind of leadership. Because you say, if only we could all just pull together and stop fighting each other. If only the violence would stop. If only we could have representation free from interest or corruption, right? Can't we just have representation that's not bought out by somebody else? Couldn't our representation actually be representative of the common person? All these if-only statements tell you and me that your heart longs for the permanence that's never going to be found in an earthly kingdom. But there's a king 
And he's a good king, and he's the king of kings and lord of lords, and his reign will never cease. And he's returning. And he's returning for his citizens. And he's returning to create a new heaven, a new earth, where the old order of things will pass away. That's what we long for. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, it is good to let your heart say the word Maranatha. Say the word Maranatha with me. Maranatha. Everyone say Maranatha. Maranatha. You know what it means? It means come Lord Jesus. <laughs> Please. Right? Come. Come. We need you. Maranatha. What are you just saying? You're just saying Lord Jesus we long for you. We eagerly await for you. And maybe this week as you get upset about stuff or stressed about stuff, that you just remind yourself the word Maranatha. Oh, this frustrates me so much. Come Lord Jesus, right? That's not some platitude. It's a reality of the human heart and it's the longing of the citizen of heaven. Number four. So if all those things are true, how do we live? If I'm a citizen of heaven, how do I live? Number four, we prepare our lives and our resources to match heaven's priorities. See, the earth is always going to tell you what your priorities should be. And it's usually spend more than you make. It's usually live for experiences, even if those experiences bring regrets. And it's follow your heart. Remember, the heart is wicked in its very nature. And we have a whole country of people who are following their heart. And we have a full world of people who are following their heart. And it shows itself in the depravity of humanity. We prepare our lives and our resources to match heaven's priorities. doesn't mean you've arrived. It means you have an ongoing work. I've got to prepare how I live between now and the time that Jesus returns or now and the time that I go to be with him, I've got to, in an ongoing way, make changes in my life that reflect that I'm a citizen of heaven. And it's going to show up, not in my words only, it's going to show up in my time. It's going to show up in my treasure. It's going to show up in my abilities. It's going to show up in how I see the world and how I align what God's made me a steward of until I go to be with him. Matthew 25, verse 23, Jesus telling a story about stewardship says this. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. What's the nature of a person who is a citizen of heaven? God says, be a good steward of a few things, and I will make you a good steward of many things. God always trusts us with little before he trusts us with much. And our world wants much without any investment. Right? We want the job title without having to pay the dues. We want the world to fix our problems without us having to have self-discipline. We want our culture to change, but we want to institute the things that would allow our culture to change and the restrictions that might restrict the human heart. But as a citizen of heaven, you have the privilege, yes, the privilege to rearrange your life 
to follow Jesus, to rearrange how you operate. So our money is going to be handled with stewardship and invested in God's word and in kingdom efforts. We're going to be intentional in how we raise a family. And if you're a single parent, you're going to be intentional in how you're raising whatever family God has given you. If you're a single, you're going to be intentional in how you're raising yourself. If you're in a family, you're going to be intentional in how you respond to the restraints that God puts above you, that you honor your father, you honor your mother. Why? Because it comes with a promise that you will live a long life and it will go well with you. We honor God with the first of our time and our treasure and our abilities. It means you and I, like Craig Rochelle says, we're going to look weird in this world, which is okay because normal isn't working. It's broken. What are we seeing in our culture? That normal simply engages the human heart to live as it wants, and it's not working. So we're going to operate our families differently. We're going to not spare the rod and spoil the child. We're going to, in appropriate, God-honoring ways, correct our children so that they don't keep making the same mistakes over and over and over. They understand that sin has sting to it. We don't want them to live that way forever. We submit our lives and our actions to being lovers of God instead of lovers of pleasure and lovers of self. Those don't satisfy. Maybe you've never take an opportunity to become a citizen of heaven. You've heard all about faith. You've heard about platitudes. You've heard about whatever. But maybe you've never said, God, I give you me. Maybe you have never said, Lord, I relinquish my earthly citizenship and I need you. I am separate from you. I'm without God. I'm without hope. This world's not going to offer me any hope that lasts. You're not going to win the lottery. And if you did, you'd just still be a rich fool. Because you'd have all this wealth and your passport, and you can't take it with you. God says, become a citizen of heaven. You get a righteous citizenship that will never abandon you. You'll be with him forever in heaven. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Just thinking about your own life right now, I just want you to think for a minute. Have I ever truly, authentically received Jesus as my Lord? Have I realized that his death on the cross wipes away my sin? And I can ask for the free gift of having my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. If that's you today, then you pray a prayer after me like this. Jesus, today I give you me. I ask you to come into my heart and make me a new creation. That you would write my name in the book of life because I believe you died on the cross that you were buried that you rose to new life because you are God and so today Jesus I give you me believers in the room just as, as you're just considering for just a moment would you just lay aside your worries and the things that have been getting a hold of you and just praise God thank him that you're a citizen of heaven God, we're so grateful for you. We thank you. We love you. Give us wisdom in what our next step should be, God, and how we ought to prioritize our lives in a way that reveals our true home. In Jesus' name, we all pray. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information.